Now on Sports Talk, it's SC Wild with Major Billy Downer of the Department of Natural Resources. Major Downer is here to take your questions about the great outdoors in South Carolina. Give him a call at 888-898-2525. It's SC Wild from DNR on the Sports Talk Radio Network. All right, great Wednesday night here on Sports Talk. Getting a little cooler outside. Well, the other day it was really cold. Nice day today, though. A little cool. Folks getting outside. The hunters in our uh, in our world getting outdoors to take care of business this time of the year. Uh, fishermen doing the same thing, I guess. Great time to get outside and drop a line for a certain type of uh, fish. Here I am killing time until we have the major Billy Downer. I mean, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot over the years of doing this show with the major, but I don't know enough to carry it. That's why we welcome in from DNR, the major, Billy Downer to Sports Talk and SC Wild. Good evening, Major. How are you? Thank you, Phil. You're doing a nice job segueing into the show. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> I give you credit. After five years, you've learned one thing or two, maybe. One thing. The one thing is to make way for you. That's the one thing I've learned. And also, I've learned to stay away from alligators. So those are two things I've yeah, learned. Exactly. Alligators and sharks. Alligators and thing. sharks. You got that right. You got your special Both guest. We got him. We got her standing by for you. I do. We've got uh, Molly Neese coming with us tonight, going to be on the show. She is the statewide waterfowl projects leader for DNR, kind of a new position we've put back in place, and glad to have her on. If we've got her on, I just uh, welcome on Molly. Thank you for joining us tonight. Um, All right. Thanks, Billy. Glad, glad to be on. Sure. So just want to talk tonight, Phil. We're going to talk about our migratory waterfowl season because that is fixing to kick off this Saturday. Um, so everybody looks for duck season. You know, the seasons always change. We just had our youth day last Saturday, and our duck season will open up uh, November the 19th and run through November 26th, the standard, what we always have called the Thanksgiving season for a week there. And then it'll open back up December 12th and run through January 31st with the new options we've been given to uh, – the Flyway Council, we can go all the way through the end of January now, so happy to see that this year. Uh, our duck limits this year, uh, not much different than they always typically are. It is still a six total bag limit per day per person, uh, which can include no more than three wood ducks, no more than two of the following. Here's a little difference here, two mallards still, and no more than one of those can be a hen, which is a female two redheads or two scop and two canvas packs. Now, the scop is two all the way through December the 22nd and then becomes one the 23rd through the 31st, 23rd of, of December fall to the end of the season. So we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. But again, uh, one your limit of one is your pintails. Your fullest whistling duck, which few see, but they do have, we do have them. Black-bellied whistling ducks, we do have on the coast a good many uh, in some spots, particularly in the lower part of the state in Jasper, Buford County. Um, and our black ducks and model ducks have, have been in the name, the same change uh, that they've been for several years now. If you are east of 95, most people know where 95 is, mm. it's one black or one model duck per day. Hmm. If you're west of 95, you can shoot two black ducks. Or, or one black duck and one model duck. Um, 
the difference on the eastern part is we're trying to protect our model ducks. You're not going to see a model duck typically in interior of the state. They are a coastal bird, and because they are so close, and in fact, most people can't identify the difference between a model duck and a black duck, particularly on the wing, uh, we are limiting it to one of those type ducks east of 95 because it's just so hard to tell the difference right. between the two. I have, I have a question. Of course you do. I have a question. Let's say you're standing on the east side of I-95. That's where your your boots are. You're over there. But the duck is on the west side, on the other side. Don't do that, Phil. Stop that, Phil. Stop being silly. No, seriously. Nobody's going to be shooting. Nobody's going to be shooting across 95. Okay. However, <laughs> let me say this. All right. There is actually a place where you could potentially be hunting like that, and that would be on Lake Marion. Mm. Because ninety five does cross Lake Marion now. Okay, so there you go. If you are east of ninety five, the limit is one and one. If you are west of ninety five, you can shoot two. So where you take the birds is important. So if the birds are west, yes, you can shoot two. Okay. The birds are east, one, because we would use the same the same law we would use or same uh, method for someone trying to shoot a bird over on someone else's land if you fall that bird falls over there and you don't go retrieve that bird and you shot a bird you know you can't retrieve that's called wanton waste and that's mm-hmm. actually against the law it keeps people from doing that mm-hmm. or it's supposed to discourage that so Milo, let me bring you in for a minute talk about our model ducks for men on the coast um we've done some more i know we're continuing to do our our uh, model duck uh Banding, preseason banding. Where are we on that right now as far as our model duck population? Yeah, you know, we band a, a fair number of model ducks every year. We're targeting those bandings um, in the summer, usually in July and August when those birds are flightless. They're regrowing their, their, their wing feathers during that time of the year. So we uh, like to sneak up on them in the airboat and scoop them up at night. Mm-hmm. And um, we band uh, a couple hundred of model ducks, a couple hundred model ducks that way every year on the coast. But, um, you know, we're probably settled in right now at about 20 to 21,000 model ducks is kind of a rough population estimate that we have in coastal South Carolina, which is pretty impressive considering that those birds were released here in the late 70s and early 80s, and we just released over 1,200 of those birds um, during that time period. So, you know, these model ducks have done really, really well in South Carolina. You know, they're a species that hunters really, really value or quite the prize and are one, they're really special to me. I spent about five years of my uh, professional career just studying model ducks. So it's uh, it's exciting to see them continue to flourish here in, in coastal South Carolina. And I know our, our hunters really value those birds as well. So they've really done well since since the late 70s and early 80s here. Well, great. That's, and that's great information. I know uh, just a few years back we kind of realized how big our model duck population was. And so I know it's a surprise to a lot of folks. I say a few years ago now, it's probably been 10 years ago when we just realized how many we had um, and how well they had done. Um, so as part of your job and your new job description, oh, you have been at Samworth for a number of years and been battling there with all the storms and things we have that wash out our dikes, but particularly in our coastal areas where we're managing for wintering waterfowl, it's a process that I think few people have an appreciation for the amount of work that you and others on our coastal um, WMAs, the work that you do, 
talk a little bit, uh, Molly, let's just talk a little bit about what it takes to manage those coastal impoundments um, that we're not necessarily planting in corn, but we're, we're managing water levels to grow certain types of vegetation. That's right. So, yeah, so real unique systems. Like I say, it, it's always a challenge anywhere where you are constantly um, managing moving water. You know, water, water is a is a is a really powerful force, and and it you know it's constantly working against you, especially when you've got big water control structures and big earthen dikes and things where we used to hold water out of impounded systems. And so, uh, you know, we do take a lot of storm damage. You know, we've been on a, a pretty good run here for for five or six years of of hurricanes and natural disaster events that have, you know, caused us some breaches and some challenges, but uh, got excellent staff on the coast that have really developed and, and further, you know, further honed the skill set for quickly repairing breaches and major issues. And like I said, you know, in those systems, we are managing for natural vegetation, which has a lot of advantages. Um, you know, one is, you know, in a moist soil setting where we're growing you know, native annual grasses that are big seed producers, you know, those are environments where we can go in and manipulate. Uh, we can mow, we can burn, unlike you can do in a, in a planted um, ag crop scenario. You know, we can't we can't manipulate those settings where we created a, a faded field. But really cool thing about our coastal systems is they're they're really resilient. Um, places like Bear Island, Fancy Coastal Reserve, you know, those private plantations in the Delta and the Ace Basin, you know, they're managing for dwarf spike rush and widgeon grass, which are more aquatic type plants. And so when we do have natural disaster events and damage to um, these coastal impoundments during the summer and the late fall, you know, the vegetation that grows in there is much more resilient. We don't have to worry so much about it being knocked down or or, um, or degrading to a point that it's, it's no longer a good food source for waterfowl in the winter. So um, really, really valuable stuff. You know, high seed producers, um, good for invertebrates, which which uh, ducks also love. And so, um, really good work we do on our coast. And and you know, these uh, these natural crops really really serve a lot of functions for us and keep birds uh, fed and happy throughout the winter, so we can send them back north in the spring to to the nest and, and hopefully come back our way with a uh, larger fall fall flight. So, well, that's good. So Molly, tell me something. So a lot of our Coastal impoundments were traditionally old rice fields, correct? Correct. All right. So is there, for the folks that don't understand that, is there any rice left in these fields? Hmm. It's, uh, it's not. You know, we you do get some, some what people call a southern wild rice, you know, kind of in some tidal settings, but we don't really see that in our impoundments anymore. Um, you know, we kind of lost the... Uh, the, the function of planting rice in these impoundments in the early 1900s with largely from, you know, salt input from big hurricanes. Our fields became much too salty and do uh, really support rice. And then places where we might still be able to, you know, if you've been on one of our lottery hunts or, or hunted another uh, another another property in the, in the area nearby, you know, you know how fluffy and how salt those fields really are. So it really takes specialized equipment to do any kind of mechanized type planting um, and you know, for the for the for the time and the input it would take to really aerially broadcast or seed anything in that type type mechanism, you know, the the seed that we produce, the invertebrates we produce, you know, managing for what's already naturally in that system, um, is much more efficient, efficient, cost effective, and really, you know, we're producing more more feed, more duck energy days, as a, a duck scientist likes to call it, than really what we could do in a in more of an agriculture placed. Uh, 
type setting as if we were, were to go, grow rice or another type of a millet or, or something like that that's really really suited for a, a soft organic environment like you see there on the coast so um so you know our natives are really really beneficial for us in a number of ways so right uh, and i appreciate you uh, that's why i wanted to mention that i knew you, you did an excellent job describing it. a lot of folks hear rice fields and still think we have rice in them i know there's some wild rice but typically we're managing for widgeon grass um and the other things door spike rush things like that right that 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 birds yep, use as you said naturally that's correct that's correct so, so yeah I'm when we, so right now just let's give a little update right now what are our coastal impoundments looking like as far as birds i've heard we've got some birds in i don't you know do we have any preliminary um info on that what's here you know, I um I was I was on a on a property, a state property yesterday up off of Lake Mulsherry that's really uh is a plant and flood area but it's really picking up good numbers of, of, of gadwall here over the past couple of days, so that's really encouraging. Yeah, I'm on the coast. So is that and, Sandy um, is that Sandy Beach? Yeah, Sandy Beach is, mm-hmm. is really looking good. Staff's been working really hard there the past couple of years. We've had a couple of contract projects which have really allowed us to take our management to to the next level and um like I say, really, really encouraged and excited about what uh, what staff has done there, and I think I think we're really seeing you know a step forward in management and things there. I really think our bird numbers and habitat have improved drastically over the past couple of years on that property. I think we'll continue to do so. So um, cool. But, so uh, back home, where on the coast, where you're predominantly at. Um, uh, a blue wing teal, things like that, moved in now. Yeah, blue wing teal. I've heard managers talk about uh, an uptick in uh, in the past uh, the past week or so, but um, blue wings are, are, are nice and thick. You know, our green wing numbers are starting to tick up as well as well as the gadwall, and so you know it's a it's a good time of year to be on the coast and um, and to watch birds move in the evening. I know there was a lot of happy youth hunters um, around Santee Coastal Reserve this weekend, and uh, good reports of of birds moving around in the area and so i hope we're setting up for a really really good season and uh was watching watching the weather reports this morning looks like this this big cold front uh hopefully it'll push some more birds to us um i know the northeast is supposed to get some snow and it's it's getting pretty pretty chilly around the great lakes and then uh in the mid-continent um right now so hopefully that'll that'll do well to push more birds our way too yeah and i i don't know how we count ducks on the coast. Sometimes you got to swat out the uh, notions. I mean, not the notions. Those aren't the problem. It's the daggum mosquitoes and yellow flies. Mm. That sometimes, for me, get confused with ducks because they're so stinking <laughs> big right. down there. I do That's not right. know how our staff handles it. I, I have heard stories, uh, Phil, just to tell you how bad mosquitoes are. Mm-hmm. That back in the day, um, Jamie Mills used to work, one of our officers, I know you know Molly, I know you know Jamie, or heard of Jamie, used to work at Murphy Island and said, and they used to drop him off, he'd drive a tractor bush hogging all day long, and he'd have to stop to rake off the mosquitoes off the radiator because the radiator was getting hot because of the number of mosquitoes in the screen. So, oh man, our people really do a good job in some really harsh conditions. Um, in the summertime, and I've been there in December on a youth hunt before at, at the uh, Santee Coastal, and if it gets warm, mosquitoes just pop back out, and they will literally carry you off. 
Um, surprised that any ducks have any blood left when any mosquitoes are out. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm glad to hear about the um, our numbers like gabwall pintail. I know pintail's a big attention getter for folks that may be listening to hear pintail numbers up. That's always a great thing. Gabwall to me are just a great big duck uh, that mixes in there. Is, is you know great decoying ducks like a mallard, and uh, I enjoy hunting those as much as any of them. Um, it's good to hear that. So. As progression on our coastal areas, you know, I know for years you had uh, Bear Island, the Springfield was one of the bigger areas. And when I do the numbers, it seems like my birds are moving back up uh, in Santee Coastal, really becoming a big area again. Yeah, you know. From a management standpoint, just really, really honing in the management there. You know, I, I would I would hope so, but uh, you know, I, I really think it's just um, it's just you know, sometimes I like to say ducks do duck things. You know, it's kind of hard. As much as we study them, the more that we know, the less that we know, and and uh, you know, it seems that uh, seems that, that you know things have kind of been trending down in the ace over the past couple of years. But you know, I hope the ace has a really good year, and I'm not sure. It's certainly maybe attributed to uh, some management. I know places, you know, our property, Santee. Um, Fair Island, you know, state properties in the ACE, you know, our management has really been top-notch over the past couple of years and, you know, a lot of well-managed private properties in that area as well. And um, just doesn't seem to be to have quite as strong numbers as, you know, the past couple of years as they traditionally have. But I wouldn't necessarily say it's, it's management-related. It's just, you know, I think sometimes those ducks just, just know where they want to be and hold tight. So, but uh, hopefully, um, hopefully the upper coast will share the love with the, with the, the low country a little bit more this coming season. Sure, and I, I guess what I'm pointing out is, you know, I know that um, Springfield, for instance, had some breaches from the hurricanes, like we said, all the yeah. challenges that we've had. And those are, I know those really, I think people have no idea how challenging that can be when salt water just flows into a, a unit like that and how it just burns the soil, basically, and, and kills your plants back uh, when you yeah, can't yeah, control the amount of salinity. Yeah, too much salt will certainly make things challenging for us. And it's, it's, uh, we get too much salinity in, you know, in the soils in a, in a managed wetland. You know, it's a, it's a correctable problem, but sometimes it takes some time to, uh, to get back where we want it to flush that salt back out the system. So, but, um, I'm feeling pretty good about, about Bear Island this year. Uh, it'll be a fun one to watch. You know, good, good widging grass and spike brush in those systems, a good bull rush, you know, even our, our moist soil and our more kind of fresh freshwater areas um, are really looking good and, and good crops of, of peanut grass and smart weeds. And so pretty excited to see what comes along. You know, those, those natural disaster events, they're not, they're not things that we can often come back from overnight. You're right, Billy. It, it does take from a habitat management perspective. You know, you may be able to fix the breach or, or the trunk issue in, in a number of days or weeks, but uh, sometimes when that salt water gets in, it takes a little bit longer to recover the system than, than it does the infrastructure issues. So. Well, I think it's worth mentioning, people don't realize how many times we've had breaches in certain impoundments. I know you've been directly rela- dealing with some of that, but just a breach happens, and then as soon as we have another storm, another breach happens, or even if we don't have a storm, and you have a king tide, all of a sudden, because it's new ground and the soil really hasn't had on that dike a chance to settle you know breach comes again and our staff is just basically throwing their hands up going what do we do now because every time they turn around a breach happens and i don't think that the public understands the amount of work 
that our folks, and I, I agree with you, our folks do so much hard work. We, uh, we were crunching some numbers a while back, and, and if you took all of our perimeter uh, dive system and our tidal impoundments, um, it's about 150 miles. You can stretch it from, from, from one end from Charleston to, uh, to Columbia. And, um, wow. That's a, that's a lot of ground to cover. A lot of ground to cover. 150 so, miles of dikes that we manage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so pretty pretty significant. Number. So, you know, we do a lot of a lot of work in-house ourselves. Um, we definitely cover what we can ourselves. And, but, uh, you know, we have a lot of good partnerships with, with contractors and Ducks Unlimited, too. And, you know, it's a, it's a full-time job. A lot of staff keeping these places up and running, and you know their goal is to their goal is they're, they're constantly focused on the winter. Everything they do is, is thinking about managing for winter. So um, it's a, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun for us to get to this time of year and and you know enjoy enjoy your hard work. Get to sit back and watch birds come in the impoundments and and see hunters come come out with uh, with birds in their hand. It's a it's definitely a, definitely worth the wait, and it's a it's a great reward for staff. Sure. So in terms of internal. Uh, managing our inland impoundments. When I say inland, I mean more inland from the coast and our coastal impoundments. What are the different challenges on inland impoundments um, that we face? That we are we, we have to you know to to make good management there. Yeah, you know I think I think our inland challenges are are much like our private landowners face that manage inland properties. You know. Um, sometimes, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with, with flooding issues, even on our inland sites, you know, it may be large runoff events from, from the hills that'll flood out a, a corn crop, or, you know, we deal with, um, depredation issues, the same as private landowners, you know, we take a ton of, of corn moss every year from, from hogs and deer and raccoons, and so, uh, you know, we do our best to mitigate those with, with fencing situations, and, and cannons and things like that as well. But, uh, you know, those inland areas are also unique and come with their own set of challenges, you know, a different set of challenges than what we experience on the coast. But uh, with all waterfowl management, if you if you can't manage your water levels, you're not managing habitat. And so uh, often our water level challenges come at a, a little different time of year. It tends to be a little more spring-oriented in our upland sites um, as opposed to the coast. But, uh, you know, mostly just all keeping the water where we want it when we want it. Right, right. So I, so again, again, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight, so we could kind of highlight uh, our waterfowl preparations. I think, like I said, I just, I really want folks to hear the amount of work that goes into that. 150 miles of dikes hmm. on the coast is incredible. When you think about that amount of management that's got to be you know, continually managed, continually cut, uh, cleaned, make sure you know. You don't have trash and things that come through there. We also have, and and I know you could speak to this, is we're still using the old trunk system because it's still one of the best systems to manage water levels. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. You know, still a, you know, a, a historic system. You know, it works, works based off the tide and, and water pressures. It's a gravity-fed system to where we can set gates to, to, uh, to pretty much, you know, open a, a pipe a hollow opening through a through a dike um, on high tide, we can push water in. And then when when high tide falls out, you decrease your water pressure on on your tidal side of the dike. Your inside dike closes, or your inside gate closes, and the water pressure inside the impoundment, you know, closes that gate and holds the water inside the impoundment. Um, much like you see on kind of upland upland systems, we also got a flashboard riser system built into that that helps us regulate and keep water levels consistent inside the impoundment. So. 
um, really, really neat, really neat um, water control structures, you know, things that, that we're proud of because of the historical aspects and they work so well for us. And um, there's only a handful of people that know how to build those structures. And, and uh, number a uh, number of private plantations build those structures themselves. And uh, we build we build our own trunks, a number of our own trunks on our properties ourselves. And so um, definitely a, a unique piece of history to be able to use and, and operate those, those, uh, those water control structures and, and build them ourselves. So. Well, cool. Well, Molly, I know we're, we're short on time, but... Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I appreciate you giving us a highlight on our waterfowl management and what our season is going to look like. Bill, we appreciate your time and I'm going to show to you. Major, great job. Molly, thank you. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Learned a lot. SC Wild from DNR here on Sports Talk. Have a great night, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow.